Let us pray. God of us all, take our ears and hear through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. So last week, I was uh, down in California. I went down to Lodi uh, to see my parents. Uh, that's where I grew up. In fact, they uh, still live in the house that we moved into when I was in the fourth grade. Uh, I got to see my brother and his wife in the East Bay. And I spent a day with our younger daughter, Laura, who some of you know, living in San Francisco. And it was really good to be there. Uh, no matter how long I've been away, it still uh, feels like home. So we just heard a story from Exodus about people who were worried about water. In California, they are worried about water. I was out walking one evening with my dad in their neighborhood, and um, he nodded at the well-kept lawns in front of most of the houses there. And he sort of ruefully said, I don't think we're going to have those for long. And my dad's from that generation of men who were real proud of, of the grass in front of their houses. Um, I didn't really pick that trade up. Uh, but he is sort of recognizing uh, reality. California is in a historic drought most of the West, like most of, of Oregon. First four months of 2022 have been the driest on record down there. Uh, the snowpack up in the Sierras is at historically low levels. Um, in Lodi, they can only water outdoors uh, three days a week and can't water between 10 and 6 a.m. Now the truth is California has always worried about water. Uh, they've always struggled to find enough. Uh, they built a huge aqueduct that carries a bunch of water from north south to take water out of the Colorado River, uh, and it is and hasn't been enough. And with global climate change, it's only going to get worse, and not just in California and in the West, globally, changing weather patterns are wreaking havoc. And one of the impacts of the increase of 1 degree Celsius, 1.5 degrees Celsius, 2 degrees Celsius, so not much at all, half a degree in some cases, one of the impacts is that tens of millions of people are going to be exposed to severe drought water scarcity. Places are going to become inhabitable. And millions, tens of millions, are going to become climate refugees. But it's not just global. It's not just out there. It's just not just other people. It's also very personal. It's right here, right? I mean, we just went through the longest heat wave on record here in Portland. Seven days at 95 degrees plus. At our house, our, our bedroom's on the second floor. It got uncomfortably warm at night. But for people outside, living outside, it's a real struggle to find self-shelter, safe shelter, to find clean, safe water. A lot of people are worried about water these days. And so this, this ancient story from Exodus 17 is as current as the news, and it's as close as our neighbors. It's as close as our front yards, too, right? People of Israel are in the wilderness. They're camped at Rapidim, and they need water. They had been liberated from Egypt. For 400 years, they've been held captive, serving the pharaohs. They've been oppressed, they've been abused, they've been beaten down. And the Lord, working through Moses, had freed the people. They'd been delivered miraculously through the Red Sea. The waters had opened and they walked on dry ground to freedom. Now they find themselves in the wilderness, in the desert. The wilderness can be a rough place. And so only three days into their journey, three days out of Egypt, the three days that, um, that uh, Gloria spoke of earlier, 
Only three days out of, uh, out of Egypt, they come to a place called Marah, where the water is bitter. And they get worried. They complain to Moses. And God miraculously makes the water drinkable. And then two months into the journey, people complain to Moses again. They're worried about what to eat. They wonder if they might not have been better just staying in Egypt. And God provides bread, bread from heaven. Manna in the morning, quail in the evening. And now here in Exodus 17, they complain again. And you know, reading these stories all these years later, it's easy to wonder at their little faith, to wonder how they can't trust God who has liberated and guided and sustained them all along the way. It's easy to get a little bit judgy, except they don't have any water. And we'd be worried too. Their children are in danger of becoming dehydrated. Their livestock is at risk of dying. You can imagine the fear of losing your livelihood. You can imagine the terror of seeing your daughter or your son or your niece or your nephew grow weak, grow sick. So this is a story of vulnerability, of uncertainty, of anxiety, of isolation. And it surfaces the core question that we always face when we are afraid. And that is, is the Lord in our midst or not? Can these people in the wilderness trust that God is with them? Can they trust that they are not alone? Can they trust that the God who liberated them will continue to sustain and provide and care for them? If not, maybe they would have been better off heading back to Egypt, even if it was unjust and oppressive. Maybe they would have been better off going back to what they knew rather than hoping for what they can barely imagine. Is the Lord in our midst or not? Can they keep going? Can they trust that God will guide them to a new future, to a new way of living together? You know, the wilderness in this story is, is a liminal space. They're no longer in Egypt, but they haven't yet made it where they're going. They haven't yet made it to the promised land. They are in between. They've been freed from slavery, but there's still an open question. How are they going to live as liberated people? If all they've ever known is domination and compulsion and threats and violence, how can they imagine anything different? Well, it's in this wilderness, in this story that Exodus tells, in this liminal space that the people are given the Ten Commandments. That's recounted in Exodus 20. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal or lie or covet. And the Ten Commandments are given to them, and given in this wilderness, in this liminal space, so that people who have been freed from slavery, who've only known slavery for 400 years, won't in their freedom turn around and begin to enslave others. In contrast to the degradation, the, the humiliation, the violence of slavery in Egypt, the Ten Commandments call the people to trust that there is a way of living together that's grounded in truthfulness and respect and justice. The Ten Commandments call people in the wilderness to trust in the holy, life-giving, peaceable ways of God. To trust that the Lord is in their midst. In that liminal space, the question is, can they? Will they? Is the Lord in our midst or not? That's why we tell this story. That's why this story was told for so many years. That's why it's written down. That's why it's passed down through the generations. It's why we read it still. Because despite their complaints, despite their quarreling and their murmuring, God graciously provides what they need. Now, I'm not sure how water gushed from a rock. 
And if we wanted to try it, we don't have Moses' staff anymore anyway, but that's the least part of this story. This story is a parable that invites us to remember and to trust that the Lord is in our midst still. Now, truthfully, most of us don't have to wa- worry about water very much at all. I got up this morning and took a shower and made coffee and didn't think twice about it. But like the ancients, there are times we do feel vulnerable and anxious and uncertain. Times we worry about our kids. We wonder about the future. Some of us have had to bear the grief of terrible loss. There are times it's hard to go on. This story invites us to trust that the Lord is in our midst still. That we are not alone. That even in the shadows of the deepest valleys, we can hold on to the hope of the psalmist. I fear no evil, for you are with me. And knowing that we are not alone can be enough to take the next step, to get through the next day. Trusting that the Lord will lead us in right paths. Trusting that one day we will find ourselves in green pastures and besides still waters again. This is a story for each of us. I mean, it's a deeply personal story. But it's also a story for all of us because it's a story about the power, about God's power to liberate people from oppression, to liberate all of us from systems of, of domination and from a heritage of inequity. It's a story that calls us to trust still in the holy, life-giving, peaceful ways of God. It's a story that calls us to trust with the, promet, with the prophet Amos that justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. If we trust that the Lord is in our midst, that we are not alone, that life isn't random or capricious, that we haven't been left to our own devices, that we don't have to rely on domination and force, that we don't have to hoard and protect and exclude. If we trust that the Lord is in our midst, then we have a part to play in the work that God means to do in the world. I was reminded again this week of the, of the words of William Sloan Kaufman, who's a chaplain at Yale. Uh, he's a longtime peace activist. He wrote, It's one thing to say with the prophet Amos, let justice roll down like mighty waters, and quite another to work out the irrigation system. If we believe the Lord is in our midst, we're called to work out the irrigation system. We're called to do the work of tending the earth, our garden home. We're called to do the work of making sure that the gifts that God has given are equitably shared so that everyone has what they need to thrive. And that means being thoughtful and conscious and intentional about our water usage, probably consuming less, certainly sharing more. It means partnering with groups like Mainspring here in Portland, Mennonite Central Committee around the world, and making sure that everyone has access to clean water. It means supporting sustained efforts to stem global climate change, because that's how justice will roll down like mighty waters. It all depends on how we answer this essential question. Is the Lord in our midst or not? When water gushes from a rock, I imagine it's easy to answer yes. But other times, we need to be reminded. While he was with us, Jesus took bread 
And he took the cup and he said, remember me. And so today we're going to come to the table to remember and to trust that the Lord is in our midst still. So in these next moments of silence, um, open your hearts, open your minds, your souls, and prepare to receive the gifts that God has given. And then we will sing together as we prepare to come eat this bread.